Christmas and Happy New Year. It is the year 2020, and I am Pastor Doug Minton, proud to be coming to you today as we begin a new year, a new month, with episode number 53 of Wrestling with Theology. I'm really excited because I have plans for 2020 to be an exciting year for Wrestling with Theology podcast. First off, I want to review for some of you who may just be joining the podcast, just subscribing. Here is the way the month rolls on Wrestling with Theology. The first Wednesday of the month, we have the Apostolic Fathers. Readings from materials written and circulating around the early church in the beginning of the second century into the first century. So just after the Apostles. The second Wednesday, we have the the second Wednesday we have common ground. Currently, right now, looking at the Catechism of the Roman Catholic Church and how we both agree and disagree with some of their aspects of their theology, as we wrestle with how do we relate to our Roman Catholic neighbors. The third Wednesday is the Confessional Corner where we're currently going through and getting ready to wrap up the Augsburg Confession in the next few months, where we learn to wrestle with what exactly it is that we believe, teach, confess as Lutherans. Then the fourth Wednesday of the month has us digging deeper into the book of Exodus. Last week we finished up the crossing of the Red Sea, getting the children of Israel, closer to Sinai and over the next couple of months. Exciting material there. Then the fifth Wednesday, when we have them, our wrestle extravaganzas. No theology, just simply what is going on with wrestling. Whether it's talking about old school wrestling, what's going on now, where you can find good wrestling uh, programming, that's all there. In 2020, I'm hoping to get more pro wrestling-based material going, whether it's the profiles as I did beforehand, or if it's going over matches or angles, whatever it might be, I'm working on that. But what I do have scheduled for the coming months, Ash Wednesday is February 26th, the 27th, I'm starting a series of Facebook Live videos on the Wrestling With Theology page going into majoring in the minors. Ten minutes each week going through the minor prophets in their historical context, in the order that they appear on the scene in Israel and Judah. That will be a very wonderful time as it's not only kind of digging deeper, but also uh, the video aspect of it. March will be the 190th anniversary of the first publication of the Book of Mormon. So we'll have Mormon Mondays. Again, video clips with me talking about how we relate to Mormons. Beginning with the question, are Mormons Christians? And we'll have it from their own words, from their own study materials available on BYU-TV out of Salt Lake City. So those are just some of the things coming up 
soon. And as we have in years past, I will have notes for Ramadan when it comes up this spring. It'll be a different format than it was last year with the readings optional, just my notes and the major context of where those notes apply. So I hope you will be excited about those as much as I am. So today we're looking at the Apostolic Fathers, particularly the epistle of the presbyters at Rome to the church in Corinth, roughly about the year 95. We are right now in chapter 26 of this great message from one church to another, simply trying to get the people back in line and doing things in an orderly fashion. There's a reason why we have two letters of Paul to Corinth, because they needed continual reminding of what it meant to be a church in good order. Three decades after Paul's death, the church in Rome writes to them. We pick up in chapter 26. Therefore we reason it to be great and wonderful that the demiurge of all things will raise those who did things like him, being servants who has made in good faith, which also by a bird has manifested to us the greatness of his gospel. For he says thus, And you will rise out of me, and I will confess to you. And I slept, and I rose again, because you were with me. And again Job says, And you will raise this my flesh, which has endured all these things. God will raise his faithful servants from death to be with him in heaven. You are with me, echoes Psalm 23, verse 4, indicating the faithfulness of the saints who rise to inhabit heaven. This hope was Job's, as he confessed, And after my skin has thus been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, Job 19.26. Physical resurrection is confessed in these verses, and it is the work of the Demiurge, the Creator, that brings the resurrection of the flesh. This promise gives us the assurance that we can sleep at night, knowing that God will sustain us, either to wake us up in the morning, in this world, or in eternity as seen in Psalm 3, verse 5. We move on into chapter 27. Therefore, in this hope, let our souls be bound to him by faith in the reports and to his righteousness in the judgments. The one who commanded us not to lie, so much more will he not lie. For nothing is impossible to God except to lie. Therefore, let his faithfulness be kindled in us, and let us understand that everything comes near to him. In a word of his majesty, let us return to him. Who will say to him, What have you done? Or who will stand against his great judgment? When he wishes, and as he wishes, he does everything. Nothing will pass away of those things decreed by him. Everything is before him, and nothing escapes his counsel, since the heavens declare God's glory, and the firmament proclaims the work of his hands. Day to day utters a word, and night to night declares knowledge, and there are not words nor speeches of whom their voices are not heard. This assurance allows our souls to be bound with Christ in faith and hope. This faith kindles and fans into flame the gift of God because we see him as he is, the creator of all things. This kindled faith causes us to seek his majesty. It is the radiance man lost when Adam and Eve fell in Eden. For this restoration... We come to Jesus in humility. We acknowledge him as the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Hebrews 1.3 In our weakened, diseased, 
sinful nature. We come before God with our questions asked in animosity. What have you done? Why is this happening to me? Where are you, God? We understand that God is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-seeing. Even though there is much evil in the world, nothing that God has decreed will be overturned. Nothing in all creation has the power to overcome God. Romans 8, 37-39 In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus reminds us, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Matthew 5, 18 Everything that was prescribed in the law had to be fulfilled for salvation to come into the world. Not that we humans were able to keep the law any better before Jesus' time than after. Salvation came when Jesus offered himself as the perfect once-for-all sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. Everything has been fulfilled in Christ. We move into chapter 28. Therefore, since he sees and hears all things, let us fear him. Let us forsake the abominable desires of worthless works, so that in his mercy we might be covered from the remaining judgments. For how will some of us be able to flee from his strong hand? And what world will receive those who have deserted him? For thus says the scriptures, Where will I go and where will I be hidden from your face? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I depart into the farthest parts of the abyss, your spirit is there. Where shall one depart, or where may one flee from him who embraces all things? The Roman presbyters move from the fulfillment of salvation in Christ to his second coming. Since he is all-seeing and all-knowing, we must have the proper reverent fear of Christ. If we do not forsake the abominable desires of this world, we will not find ourselves in his kingdom. We will find ourselves in his wrath, in the farthest parts of the abyss experiencing the eternal punishment of the damned. We flee from these abominable desires so that we might be safe from Christ's wrath on the last day. Staying on Christ's narrow way, we can flee to his refuge. In his refuge, we are covered by his blood and will find ourselves in heaven after judgment day. Chapter 29 Therefore, let us come to him in holiness of soul, pure and lifting up undefiled hands to him, loving our suitable and tender-hearted Father, who made us an elect portion for himself. For thus it is written, When the Most High divided the nations as he dispersed Adam's sons, he stood the nation's boundaries according to the number of God's angels. They became the Lord's portion. He received to himself a nation out of the midst of all the nations just as a man receives his first fruits from the threshing floor. The holy of holies will come out from that nation. Quoting from Deuteronomy 32, the Roman presbyters begin a discussion of the church's election to righteousness by God. He has made the church his treasured possession, Exodus 19.5 and 1 Timothy 2.8. This election begins with the election of Israel out of all the nations of the world. Israel was not the largest or most powerful nation, but God chose them in order to bring Jesus, the Holy of Holies, into the world. His continued working through Israel was a testimony to his faithfulness to his promise to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, Deuteronomy 7, 6-8. And now we move into chapter 30. Since we are the portion of holiness, let us do everything pertaining to holiness. 
fleeing, evil speaking, abominable and impure embraces, drunkenness and tumult and hateful lust, abominable adultery, hateful pride. For God, he says, resist the proud, but he gives grace to the lowly. Therefore, let us cleave to those to whom God's grace has been given. Let us clothe ourselves with the garments of concord, being self-controlled, standing far off from all backbiting and evil speaking, being justified by righteous works and not by words. For he says, the one saying many things also will hear again. Or does the one who speaks well think to be righteous? Blessed is the child of a woman who is short-lived. Be not many in words. Let our praise be in God and not from them. For God hates those who praise themselves. Let us give the truthful witness of our acts to one another, just as he gave to our righteous fathers. Boldness, arrogance, and audacity are for those who are cursed by God. Forbearance, humility, and gentleness are for those who are blessed by God. The Roman presbyters encouraged the Corinthians using words similar to St. Paul. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels, 2 Timothy 2, 22 and 23. This chapter describes the difference between those blessed by God and those cursed by God. The youthful passions of 2 Timothy 2.22 are the pride and joy cursed by God. Righteousness, faith, love, and peace are the blessings God gives to his children. To those who pursue righteousness, God gives grace. Proverbs 3.34, James 4.6, and 1 Peter 5.5. Therefore, the Roman presbyters seek for the headstrong and arrogant party to repent. Instead of seeking power and glory in the congregation, they need to seek ways to serve with forbearance humility, and gentleness. We cannot be justified by our words. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Matthew seven twenty one. St. James also writes, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. James 2, 15-17 Living faith is faith exhibited by righteous works. Faith has the component of the verbal confession, Romans 9, but there is also the axiom, actions speak louder than words. The works which Christians do manifest their faith much greater than their words. Words have power, but many times the words and the actions do not correspond to each other. Living faith has both the proper words and the proper works. Faith cannot live without both. If one is missing, that faith has become dead. We'll stop here for our look at the Apostolic Fathers this month. We'll pick up with chapter 31 in February. A reminder, though, from the Roman presbyters to have that living faith. That living faith is seen as you wrestle with a theology that you hear, not only in the pulpit on Sunday morning, but also every other day, as everything in life is based in a theology. A theology you have to wrestle with to see, A, if it aligns with what God says in the Scriptures, and B, if it's something that harms the points of salvation outlined in the Scriptures. 
Many things in the theology of the world we can let go because they're not salvation issues. But when it impinges on salvation, when it impinges on the exercise of the Christian's faith and the doing of good and righteous works by Christians, then we have to wrestle and struggle against the authorities. We cannot let the headstrong and arrogant parties of this world dictate to us what we need to do. We need to let that be run by the Word of God. Until next week, this is Pastor Doug Minton, once again wishing you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year, and pray for God's richest blessings as you wrestle with theology. Amen.